When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We should hopefully be back. I'm just awaiting the arrival of. James and Calvin, this is the first time locker room. We've been on locker room where there's a uh, actually uh, <laughs> other people here. Hopefully, um, we've only used the app uh, in the beta testing stage, so hopefully there are no no issues. But I'm going to be joined by um, James and Calvin very shortly. I hope here he is. Here's James. Hello. Good evening. How are you? I'm well. This is exciting. The app, the app looks different. That's very. I know. Cool. I was just saying. I hope everyone's going to find their way here. Um, just a Calvin is coming, but he's. Um... Oh, here he is. Here he's we on go. Greek internet, which is famously that, slower. That, that's exactly what I was going to say. So we, we may lose Calvin at points of the night, but at the minute he seems here. Hello, Calvin. <laughs> that was a famously good start. Hear me. Uh, try, try, try speaking English, Calvin. What's good, what you don't know, is that we've also got a, a video call going, so we can see Calvin looking frustrated and blank. Yeah. Maybe, maybe freezing, actually. The, the, the app's got the little sign saying Calvin's got no Wi-Fi, <laughs> so... Um, this 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 may end up being a two man job, but hopefully, uh, <clears throat> hopefully well, we get involved. Okay, yeah, he's he's going to try shutting his video. He's, call, he's shutting down the guy again, so we, we we can go on go on without him. Go on, James, we'll do we'll your intro stick. Hopefully, um, <laughs> hopefully he arrives. Um, I note that your naming of the room, George Novak Tankovic, uh, has already gone down a storm in the discussion. Gonzalo Asis, hello. I hope I'm saying that right. Asis, Asis, let me know. Um, you can, of course, if you're listening live on the Locker Room app, you can talk to us live with the discussion feature. And if you're listening back on the record um, on iTunes or Spotify, then please do uh, leave us a rating or a review. That really helps people find us and come and listen and then find us on Twitter at Love Tennis Pod and let us know what they think about the podcast and tennis in general. The big news, of course, and the reason that we've got Novak Tankovic as the title for this podcast is because Novak was beaten this week by Lorenzo Sonego. Wake me up before Sonego. Uh, 6261 in Vienna. And I mean, a thrashing by anyone's measure. Um, a lucky loser, Sonego had been very lucky because Calvin had written him off before the tournament had even started, I think. Um, so I'm here now. One of the most Oh, we hello. <laughs> Speak hello. of the devil, and so he appears. <laughs> you were just about to get James rubbing in the predictions, which we'll come back to. <laughs> yeah, <a bit>. that. <laughs> He's actually been here the whole time, but couldn't hold his tongue at that point. Um, yeah, yeah, just hovering. The, dulc- the dulcet uh, northern tones you can hear there are Calvin Beton, usually from Barnsley, but on this occasion, 
He's out coaching in Greece. It's me, James Gray, and George Belshaw, both in London, although I'm soon to flee the capital like a rat from a sinking ship and um, take my leave in the north of England where it's much safer, I'm told. Um, let's move away from things like lockdown, at least for a bit. Uh, Novak Djokovic explained his defeat. Well, I don't know if explains the right word. Here's what he said. George Calvin, you can let me know what you think of it. I came here with the intention to try to earn more points and secure the world number one at the end of the year. I'm happy. I'm pleased. I'm healthy. And hopefully I can have a strong finish in London. Um, George, you've called it Novak Tankovic. I mean, that's staggering, isn't it, for a a guy like him, even with an iota of competitive spirit in him, to basically chuck a game two and one. It, it, it's certainly quite astonishing he admitted it afterwards. Um, I know he got a <laughs> he got a bit of stick off um, Hervig Strava, um, who's um, Dominic Team's uh, manager, uh, also the um, tournament director in Vienna. Um, yeah, you know it, it's not something that normally goes down well. I, I, th- I was going to say quite early on that. If ever there's a time to tank, it's probably when the fans aren't coming in. That that's kind of the <laughs> the one big thing about like you can't tank is like, oh, the fans have paid their money to come in, but if the fans haven't paid their money, uh, is tanking that bad? That that's a philosophical I mean, <laughs> early question. Sim- sim- simply, simply put, George, yes. Um, I mean, is it less bad? At least, yeah, I, I think that's a defence you can make, but I, I think <laughs> the Vienna tournament is quite within his rights to be extremely peeved that uh, he's managed to get Novak Djokovic to come to this tournament, which he doesn't always come to. I think I'm right in saying I can't, I don't know how many times he's played Vienna in the past, but nevertheless, it's a coup to get him, on whether you're selling tickets or not. And then he says, "Oh yeah, I lost, but uh, not that bothered. I'm only here for a couple of points." Uh, Calvin, a staggering tank. Now Calvin's tanking the point. Uh, no, I don't really see the point in him sort of saying that's what he did. Can you hear? Oh, he's in and out. <laughs> can anyone he's hear? In and out. We can hear you say. <laughs> this is going well. Just We're getting every other. I'm going to try. Every other. Okay, one more minute for Calvin. Right, is this better? We'll get there. We'll get there. Okay. Well, we'll we'll come back. Um, George, maybe in the meantime, I've got a little quiz question for you. I'm hoping you haven't oh, already no. seen it. Um, it. I mean, it's Rogue. Lucky losers to have beaten men's world number ones. Oh, wow. Four, How many? Uh, four others. I'll give you the years, and then I'll maybe give you the tournaments. 1996. Okay. I won't trouble you for that one. 2007. And then, 2000, and then two others, both in 2017. Both Andy Murray defeats. Ooh. Yeah, you see, this is gettable, George. That does sound more guessable. There were a couple of really bad losses in 2017 when he was kind of having the worst record when he was world number one. I would go so far as to say I think you were probably at one of them. <laughs> Possibly. Um... Oh, you know what, we'll leave it. If you're listening live or you're in the discussion, um, then do let us know if you've got a guess and I'll let you know if you get it right. If you're listening back on the podcast, you can have the remainder of the podcast to have a think about it. And I'm going to give you those years again. Twice Andy Murray was beaten in 2017 by a lucky loser. There was one in 2007 and one in 1996. If anyone gets the 1996 lucky loser who beat the then world number one, men's world number one, I will buy them dinner. And I know that I can say that because you won't be allowed to leave the house for the next three months and therefore I'll never really have to pay it off. Um, Are you going to say who the number ones were in those years? I presume I presume Federer 2007 and then... It was Federer 2007. And then, of course, in 1996, uh, it was Thomas Mooster. Oh. How could we forget? How could we forget? I think I know one of Murray's lucky losers. Okay, very good. Jordan Thompson. You can mouth it to me. Oh, uh, sorry. Jordan, Jordan Thompson's George's guess. Let me know if he's right or not. Was that a lucky loser? I remember him losing to him. <laughs> um, but we'll let you know at the end of the podcast when, in fact, there is one. Uh, Calvin okay, Lance, I think I'm here now. I think I'm here now. Oh, good. You've gained, you sounded like you've gained some friends as well. Um, yeah, I've had to come down to a more communal area, but uh, hopefully you can hear me better. 
That's all right. The Greeks are famously quiet. <laughs> I can say that my godparents are Greek and I spend a lot of time in Greece and they are the loudest people on earth and proud and I love it um, okay Calvin you were, you were going to say you didn't really see the point in Novak Djokovic saying that he wasn't really trying no and I, I don't really get what um, what he gained from that and, and also he would have been paid a substantial appearance fee in that tournament as well um, mm. that um, I don't imagine the tournament director would have been over the moon at. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not even... I, I, I watched a fair bit of the match on the replay and I'm not even sure he even did tank. Sonego was just, like, blowing him away, to be fair. Hmm. And in fairness to Djokovic, he did sort of give Sonego some credit. Um, right. He said he... <laughs> <laughs> it sounds exciting. Whatever, whatever's going on in your Greek hotel, Calvin, it sounds very exciting. Sorry, I'm hoping it's going to calm down. In, in <laughs> you, 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 if you, you could always press mute when it. you're Lady talking as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's all off. You in Crete or Cyprus? I forgot. No, he's muted himself. Let's not attempt to unmute himself. Um, just to give Djokovic some credit, he, say, he also said, uh, Lorenzo just blew me off the court. He was better in every segment of this game. It was a pretty bad match from my side, but amazing from his side. He definitely deserved this result. George, did you think Djokovic was doing the old, oh, I wasn't trying? Well, I, I think, as Calvin was probably going to say just there, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't the most blatant tank of all time in terms of, you know, a Kyrgios-style tank. I, I wouldn't necessarily say... It was him 100% tanking, not trying and making it an awful watch. It was like quite impressive from Sonego. Djokovic probably wasn't at his best, was playing around 80-90% or whatever. But mm. um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think it was such bad, terrible viewing. that if, Even if the fans had been there in their droves, they would have been completely overwhelmed and disappointed. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, I think it just goes to show a little bit like where Novak's headspace is at the minute as well. Like he seems very kind of methodical in terms of his goals and stuff. And he's kind of really picking and choosing what he wants and needs um, for his career. So like, you know, he wants this number one spot, obviously the Federer um, record. He, that's a clear target. He wants the most grand slam titles. I think this year he wanted to equal, uh, Pete Sampras's record for year-end number one. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the, these are kind of clear goals he has, and he's just ticking the goal off, and then everything else is kind of irrelevant to him. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I'm not saying we'll see this all the time, but it, it's definitely going to be quite interesting to see how he's managing his career now. It feels like he doesn't want to waste excess energy outside of like his big goals he's going for. It's also kind of a product of the ranking system that we've got at the moment. You know, I know why it's there, and it there to try and protect people who can't play because of COVID or whatever. But, you know, he said it. He said, I'm doing this for the points. That's why I'm here. Um, and I think that's just uh, an exact product. We said it a couple of weeks ago. We said, well, people are going to start exploiting this. And sure enough, here we are. The world number one is exploiting it. Incidentally, it's not why the system exists. It's not so that Novak can manipulate his rankings until the end of the season. It's so that players who genuinely are impinged by COVID travel requirements or whatever, not required to basically lose world ranking points and, and future attempts to uh, to get into other tournaments. So uh, I, I'm disappointed, and I, I said it last week about, you know, Shapovalov, for example, although I know he's probably injured, not playing Paris because he reached the final last year, and so there's no real point in him going. And it just it creates lots of sort of strange things like that. Um the good thing about Vienna was another title, and I think that's five now for Andrei Rublev, um, who, <laughs> am I right in saying he's not going to be at World Tour Finals? Or, George, you're looking puzzled. I thought he was. <laughs> Did we not say this last week and then fail to check? I, think, I thought he was going to be there. But actually, no, actually, I think you're right. I think he's not going to be there. Sorry, I'm so all over the place at the minute. I've kind of been off work semi-permanently at the minute. not in a bad Semi- way semi-permanently <laughs> <laughs> you know what we'll let you no, he, is, he is there he is there 
he is there. Okay, he is there. I, I knew he was there. Uh, there was a sorry. point, though. There was a point when you know it, it was touch and go because again because of this kind of reserve point system. But he has won five titles this year. He absolutely deserves a place. Well, yeah. I mean, this ranking system is quite bizarre in the sense that like Berrettini, I think, has only won like nine matches this season or something, um, which is a crazy low number. Mm. Um, for someone who wants to be in the ATP yeah. Tour Finals. Um, and then you've got Rublev, who's won five titles, which is a lot of titles. Like, that's a really yeah. significant number of titles, even if... Would you, know, you like to... I mean, I'll run you through exactly what he's won in 2020. You're going to ask me guitar. what I've won? Oh. No, I'm not, I'm not going to ask you what you've won and your club... No, what he's won. won. No, what he's okay. won. I thought you were going to make I'm also not going to ask you what he's won. Qatar, Adelaide... Hamburg, St. Petersburg, and now Vienna. Um, I did actually have a sort of little drill down into this, and it's worth noting the people who he's beaten in the finals of these tournaments. Um, Corentin Moutet, who I know is very rated, but a young guy. Lloyd Harris, the South African. Tsitsipas, who's obviously a real player. Borna Chorich, who runs hot and gold. And then Lorenzo Senega. Now, I'm going to kind of sort of contradict myself and say, when you play someone in the final... You are playing a bloke who's been winning all week, so you know you're unlikely to play a mug. But equally, it's not like he's been knocking back top ten players every week as well. So you know, yes, he's he's won a lot of matches this year, but maybe five titles is a bit misleading. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I get what you're saying. I mean, it, it's misleading in the sense that it, there may be not all of them were the most uh, prestigious tournaments as well. I mean, although, to be fair, Vienna. Hamburg, they're not terrible tournaments. None of them are terrible tournaments, but it's not like he's won five Masters, 1,000 titles, or you know, two Grand Slams, a couple of Masters, and a 500. Mm. Um, I'm going to give you another stat to add to that, which is that against top 20 players, he's, he's six and three, which isn't bad, but you know, he's, he's he lost to Zverev, he's lost to Medvedev, he's lost to Sipas. And then he's beaten, and the top 20 players he's beaten, he's beaten Bautista Agut twice, Goffin, Berrettini, Sissipas, Shapovalov. He's not been knocking massive players out of the park, is the, the point I'm trying so, to make. But he's not playing them either, then, according to that stuff. No, no, no. I, uh, I, I, you know, I'm not saying that he, he's been not been beating them because he's been losing to them. I'm just saying, you know, this, is, this isn't a year we're talking about because of the shut down this is less than a year and there is a potential for some high variance um i wonder if we can i might bring calvin in on andrew rublev i don't know if he's in the room or if he's hidden himself in a broom cupboard or if he has any wi-fi calvin andrew you can try rublev. you can try can you hear me <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah right okay maybe this is better we'll, we'll keep going um Praise. on rublev um are we there mm. yeah yeah yeah, far yeah. away. We're, we're um, I mean, the, the thing what stands out for me on Rublev, uh, the stat, what it's not even the titles he's won, is that in the last twelve months he's lost seven matches, mm. and at that level of the game, uh, sort of the, the, I guess you could you could say the top echelon of the game, that's a phenomenal record to lose seven matches. And I know we've had a, you know we had a sort of three month period where they didn't play, but um, but to, to only lose seven matches, two of which were to Dan Evans as well, I might add. Mm. Um, it, it, it's it, it's some record. It's an eighty six percent win record, mm. um, and it, it, it's some going. But at the same time, I, I still feel no more confident that he would be any of the top guys in the quarterfinals of a slam either. Mm. Um, which he which he has never done. I don't think he's ever been part of quarterfinal <coughs> of a slam. Yes, he's. Um, um, it, it, you know, and I think that the one thing with him here, with him is, and I think this is one of the reasons why he struggles with um, Evans as well, is that he's 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 a good mover, he's a phenomenal uh, ball striker, but he's not the most skillful of players. And I know there's a feeling on the tour um, that hit, particularly him and Kachin, him and Hachinov, you can get them by sort of trying to drag them into a skill battle, um, and and they both sort of come to pieces in that way. And, and Evans, of course, has a a four and O record against the two of them this year. I think it'll um, also be interesting, kind of on that point, to see how he does get on at these finals. Now, like we've been talking about yeah. him having like a really solid record, but we we're also just saying when you were kind of cutting out, like how many of the top opposition has he played this year? Like, yeah, really top top. It'd be interesting to see how he kind of shows up. 
um, and does that. But there's, there's no reason. I think it's it's a great habit to be beating everyone else on the tour. But for him to make that next yeah. step, it's about yeah. then beating these top guys. But it's a great sign. Yeah, for he's him. he's he's um he's also like what, what's strange as well is like uh, uh, the players he's lost those seven matches to. Are, are a bit strange. I mean, I think there's, there's maybe one to City Pass. I, I looked at them the other day, but then there's some strange ones like her catch has beaten him. Um, I forget there was there was another random one. Um, maybe My tennis abstract is frozen. My tennis abstract's frozen. <laughs> Philip Kronovic <laughs> beat him in Rotterdam. Yeah, Kronovic. Yeah, um, it's like a Benoit a pair or something. Yeah, yeah, just... but, but the, the point the point I think you're making stands, but he he is. <laughs> I'm not going to say he's getting lucky because it's not it's not fair to disregard <laughs> like that. But he, he's, he's kind of bossing. I think the thing is he's he's bossing the sort of if if you take the top eight out of the world rankings, he's bossing the next division down. Yeah, he's kind of like he's kind of like Sevilla, isn't he? In the in the, <laughs> in, in the, in the Europa League, <laughs> that's the position yeah. he's taken. Like you know you know it's like never plays in the Champions League, but um, but just crushes the Europa League every year. Yeah, but he is but he's now still... up to number eight in the world, by the way, for the first time. Yeah, but, sorry, George, yeah. you were going to say. I was, I was just going to say, but I mean, he's still easily a young enough guy that he can make this transition like the other guys. I mean, it, this is hugely encouraging period mm. of form for him. Like, you have to remember that for most of Andre Rublev's career, Federer, Djokovic, and Nadal aren't going to be around. So if he can crush everyone else in yeah. the field, Medvedev, Zverev, and whoever else are going to have losses earlier in Grand Slams you'd imagine um, mm. so you, the field may be all you need to beat to win Grand Slams in a couple of years so I, I think it's a really good time for him and he's improved a lot Can I just add uh, a random Andre Rublev fact which is going to annoy almost everyone but particularly I think Calvin um, he, in, a, in a Russian interview a few years ago uh, he was asked for his favourite bands I know the answer to this I think uh, Go on George is it One Direction? So he did say One Direction. My word. That's a great shout, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's huge for me. But he also said Metallica and ACDC. And I don't know how many people. Like that Venn diagram is very narrow. There is not much crossover between the One Direction fans and the Metallica fans. Yeah, that, uh, that just that just reeks of somebody trying to pull something round, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it, said, it, said, it said one direction and he's just been laughed at. And <laughs> he's, he's, um, well, but, congrats to John nevertheless, um, because much as I've been trying to sort of pour cold water on his parade, he has won five titles this year. He is probably the form player um, going into the ATP World Tour Finals, which he will be at. Um we go into Paris this week where we're deciding, I think, the final place, George, um, in the ATP World Tour Finals. I'm saying George because I know that he doesn't exactly know. I do know. I do know. You I do know. Okay. It's Diego Schwartzman versus Matteo Berrettini for the final place, is it? Yeah. Uh, and what's the situation? Uh, it's Schwartzman's to lose, I think. Um, Berrettini... They, I think they can meet each other in the semi-finals. I haven't got the draw in front of me, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the scenario. Okay. Um, but as I said, Berrettini's won nine matches all year, so I, it is, it's probably quite unlikely they will meet in the semi-finals. I, I think Schwartzman's going to be there, to be honest. But okay. um, Berrettini will do very well to be a first alternate and pick up what's a very hefty check mm. um, by the form he's been in this year. Okay. Um Let's talk about Diego Schwartzman then, because we mentioned him in, in our planning, because believe it or not, we do actually do some planning. Yeah. It's five o'clock on a Monday. Um, <laughs> and he's obviously had another decent year. He remains someone you don't want to draw at a Grand Slam. George, I, I said, is this his ceiling? Which seems unfair on a man who's rather short of stature. Um, <laughs> is, it, is, this, is this as good as Diego Schwartzman gets, or is there another gear? He's number nine in the world at the moment. Uh, I think number eight is about his ceiling. I can't see him getting higher than seven with the players. But I, I mean, maybe that's a bit unfair. But again, like it, it depends when he retires compared to the big, big three and stuff. But you know, I think you've got the big three. You've got Sissipas, Medvedev, and then I'd expect other people to start passing him as well. So I think this is a good time for him to get up to top eight. Obviously, he's a, he reached the final of Rome. 
Um, he reached the semi-finals in Paris. Um, that's incredible for him. Like you have to remember what Diego Schwartzman has compared to uh, other other people um, in terms of pure physical stature. Well, he's, he's, he's five a, nine. Yeah, five nine is generous. I think it says he's five. I think it says he's five seven on his five, seven page. In some places. I, I've and seen. I've seen him. He's not five nine. He's not five seven either. <laughs> I don't think. No, honestly, I, th- I think about five five personally. Um, <laughs> he's small for a yeah. tennis player. That's the long and short. Thing. Exactly, and he was always told he's not going to make it as a professional player. So for him to even get to the top ten is like crazy good. Um, mm-hmm. A proper. David versus Goliath story. I think I've probably said this to you before, but like the pictures of him stood alongside like Riley Opelka and John Esner and people like that are like my favorite pictures. And he quite often wins those matches. And it is mm. just, it's great. It's great for the sport to have someone like that doing it, but I, I just don't see him getting any higher than mm. well, number seven. I think is his ceiling. That's, he and I don't, I'm not sure he'll get there. He is incidentally, when he got to the French open semi-final and I, whoever found this stat, I, tip my hat to them but it's on Wikipedia now he was the shortest man to reach a Grand Slam singles semi-final since 1980 when uh, Harold Solomon the American reached the semis uh, incredible stat he was 5 foot 6 I'm glad you didn't open that one up for us to guess <laughs> <laughs> Calvin until you were there 1918 French Open semi-final <laughs> yeah I watched yeah mate lost in the quarters <laughs> um, what do you think of Diego Schwartzman? You know, if you're working, you must have worked with shorter players in your career. How do you how do you approach that? I, I, I do have some experience in that because um, probably the best two players I've coached um, up to juniors. Anyway, the two best juniors I coached were both very small. Mm. Um, yeah, it, very it, small? we certainly have a stigma. Um, I coached a girl who was five foot three, um, who was very, very good. Um, and then a lad who I coached up until last year, from juniors up until last year, he was five foot nine. Okay. Um, but strangely, though, both of them very, very big ball strikers, other than the serve. Um, mm. So that sort of, you know, Do you think that's a product? dynamic. Do you think that's inevitable if you are someone who isn't able to rely on the serve, that, you, you know, it's a sort of chicken and egg thing, you end up with big ground strokes because of it? No, they were both just very, very clean, natural ball strikers. Mm. Um, I think that was that was what that was down to. Um, yeah, but Schwartzman's sort of an anomaly. Like, the strangest thing I always find about Schwartzman, as well for the, the sort of level he plays, that, that type of player... They tend to be very, very consistent in their results. Where Schmortzman has some some really bizarre results. Like he lost to Norrie, didn't he, in the US Open? Mm. Yeah. And you'll see him losing early. He's not a guy you can go. He's always going to be in the quarters. Um, you know, a sort of solid bet like that. Even even sort of Rublev now, he's kind of getting to that stage, isn't he? Where, you know, I know I said he'd had some strange results, but you kind of know what you're going to get from Rublev now. Um, mm. Where a Schwartzman. That type of player, you tend to know what you're going to get, but he, he has some strange results. But but also, you know, he had the one against Rafa, and um, you know, that, that's the biggest win he's had. I'm not sure how many other big wins he's had. I think that's where he's going to hit his problem. Yeah, he beat Team, didn't he, in the French Open after? But that was a kind oh, of knackered, course, yeah. t- knackered yeah. team. Um, still a great yeah. result, obviously. I don't want to take that away from him, but you know, it, yeah, it's hard but to no, see him beating a fresh team, isn't it? To, to answer James's question, I mean, it's yeah, it's it's the serve, James. I think that's the problem. You, you're not really getting any any real advantage on the serve, um, mm. and the problem that you get without doing that is that if you go through a rough period, like if you sort of say, I always use this example that if you've lost a, a very close first set, um, you you'd be pretty teed off at yourself at that stage. Whereas if you've got a huge serve, you can kind of ride that because you can you can kind of know you're going to get through a couple of service games without really having to hit any ground strokes. Whereas the smaller guys, you have to work for it without their serve. Mm. They can't afford that. Every game's a battle. Um, Gives you a you know kind of I mean. mental safety net, yeah. Yeah, you, you, yeah, exactly that, yeah. You can afford a bit of... You can afford 10 minutes of sloppiness um, if mm. you've got a cannon of a serve. Yeah. just um, I was just looking up Schwartzman's record against top 10 players. He's got nine... 
career wins against top 10 players. Okay. Um, which I think, uh, well, yeah, only two of them, three of them in the last 12 months. But yeah, you're right mm. about the strange results as well. I mean, he's lost to some absolute, well, I hesitate to say nobody, but Laszlo Jair <laughs> is not a... Lazlo Jair is not a guy that someone like Dominic Schwartzman should be losing to, put it that way. Yeah. Um, and that was, you know, on clay, which is, um, I don't know if he's one of his best surfaces, but he, he's certainly a hand-stable player. But was that in Rio? Uh, no, that was in Kib- Kitzbühel. Oh, uh, there yeah. we go. It wasn't in Rio. No, in Rio, he walked, he pulled out in Rio. Mm. I, was, I was just thinking, so, Jair won I, that, I was just thinking. I think he's one of those guys, he's a strange one actually, in that when you said there, James, that he's the sort of guy you don't want to come across in a slam, for the top players, I'd probably say that because he's awkward, whereas for the guys who are not seeded, he's probably the guy who's, whose section you want to be in, because <laughs> yeah. you're going to feel that you're going to get, you, you know you're going to get a, a hit on the ball, and he's there for you to beat, um, mm-hmm. but if you're going to say that you're going to draw one of the top one of the top 10 players in the world in the first or second round, then I'm going to say that most of the players would outside, who are not seeded would take Schwartzman in that option. Yeah, I mean, uh, other than perhaps Matteo Berrettini, who is essentially at the moment a top <laughs> 10 player based yeah. on some matches he won about three years ago that somehow it's <laughs> still on the books. I've got a strange um, thing to say about Berrettini, actually. That, um, I meant to tell you this when I was in Portugal the other week. That's... Um, Berrettini's brother is actually, he plays at this level that, that I'm currently at tournaments at. Um, and he could not be more like Matteo Berrettini um, in his appearance and his game <laughs> style. Like if I was to tell if, you, if I was to tell you that this guy is, this guy is, is the brother of a top 20 player, I, I guarantee you that Berrettini would be the last player you came to. <laughs> and I, I just find it bizarre. I mean, he's sort of, he's tall... He's tall, skinny, and got long blonde hair. What's that? <laughs> I think we need to meet Matteo Berrettini's childhood postman, perhaps. <laughs> um, yeah, is he, is he devilishly good-looking, though? Because Berrettini's um, quite a handsome man, isn't he? He looks nothing like Berrettini. That's the thing. I wouldn't say, like, you know, without sort of going off piece here, I wouldn't say he's a, like an ugly guy or anything, but like, <laughs> he, he, looks, he, looks, he just looks nothing like his brother. There's no sort of similarities that's all. I've, I've managed to find some pictures of, is it Jacopo Berrettini? Yeah, that's him, yeah. And that's yeah, he, he looks, I mean, Berrettini is the almost classic sort of Northern Italian, you know, five-day stubble, dark yeah. hair, yeah. Kind of strong jaw. And yeah, Jacopo is, you know, remarkable, really. He looks like he's German. Maybe he Yeah, is, yeah, German you know, or Swedish or something, doesn't he? Yeah, so, um, oh. But, um, more, to, more to follow on Jacopo Berrettini's questionable heritage. Very exciting yeah. stuff. Yeah, um, I mean, so well, this tournament here, we've got two the brothers of two top ten players. Because, uh, of course, Petros Tsitsipas is taking his 212th <laughs> wildcard in a row. <laughs> I was going to uh, say, did he get a wildcard? Uh, funnily enough, he did, yes, James. <laughs> funnily enough, yeah. The, to, to the shock of everyone here, um, Petros Tsitsipas got another wildcard. I mean, just, just for a second, because, you know, we've talked about this on the WhatsApp group, but most people won't know anything about Petros Tsitsipas. I mean, it, it, it seems to be something of a running joke on the tour that he just plays every tournament that he wants to in Greece. I mean, is that fair? There's basically, I mean, on a normal year, there'll be, um, on, a, on a normal running year, there's basically 12 to 14 tournaments in Greece in a row. There's, there's seven at the start of summer. They're held at a hotel in Greece, basically. Um, and the hotel has got sort of quite an interesting business model where they fill the hotel with tennis players before the holiday season and mm. after the holiday season. So there's seven sort of March to April, and then there's normally seven October to November. Um, and Petros Tsitsipas plays them all. Um, his ranking doesn't get him in any of them. He's, he's ranked about, um, I think he's probably about 1,200 or something like that. So he doesn't get in the main draw. Um, and in, in real terms, I think he's now on his 18th wildcard in a row into the main draw. <laughs> wow. OK. Well, um, I, look, I look and, forward to hearing more of his results. I mean, the thing is, is like, he, he's not I, I must say he's not terrible. Like he, he can. He, he, he's not a bad player. Um, what a compliment. What a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> and he's yeah, double. He's actually, a, he's, he's actually a decent doubles player. He's a very, he, he, may, he gets to the sort of, you know, latter stages of, of the doubles fairly regularly. 
Um, he does play but... Davis Cup doubles, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. Yeah, they're, he does. They're really, yeah. I mean, I know that Greece are really short on depth. I seem to remember they weren't going to be allowed to play the Davis Cup on the grounds that they didn't he... have enough players in the top thousand. Yeah, there's basically there's basically his brother, obviously Petros, and um, not Petros. Go on, I've gone I've gone blank here. Um, the good the good um, the good Pass. <laughs> Stefanos. Stefanos. And then there's um, there's a guy called Pervil Arrakis who's pretty decent. He, he's very good at this level of futures. He tends to win a lot of futures uh, into challenges. Um, and then you're down into they're they're not then the, the, there's a few players around. Uh, Petros Tsitsipas's um, level that would perhaps yeah. perhaps be more warranting of some of the wild cards that he gets. Mar- Marcos Kalovalonis is the one that I found. The one number 720. He was the uh, yeah. Greek he's, number Yeah, he's a strange one in that he's not actually Greek. He's actually Russian, but um, out of nowhere started playing for Greece. <laughs> that. That thing. I tell you what, I mean, there there are so many stories in kind of like uh, countries without much tennis kind of heritage of these sort of amazing stories of, of players coming from different places or with different backstories. Um, and I like that each week we somehow end up, last week it was Belarus, this week it's Greece. Who knows, maybe it'll be Zimbabwe next week. That'd be exciting. Um, yeah. Let's move on. Let's move on. Uh, George, you wanted to talk a bit about Alexander Zverev because... From um, a kind of gossip perspective, it's been a big week. Uh, to kind of outline the facts, his ex-girlfriend started posting pictures and messages on Instagram that she is pregnant. Um, it is, it, it, Alexander is the, the father, but I understand she's going to be raising it alone. That obviously has um, filled a lot of column inches in the German press, where obviously Sasha Verev is a big deal. Um, and then there was a sort of unrelated but almost felt related story because there was another ex-girlfriend coming out and talking about Alexander Zverev um, and she's made some quite serious allegations and it's important to note at this stage that they are allegations um, he's not been proven to have done any of these things but nevertheless you know we should talk about it because she has come out and said these things. yeah and I think you know it, it's, it's always very difficult handling these sort of comments that come out because obviously domestic abuse is a very serious thing and it you know victims should be believed and you're also also trying to play the the, the toe the line of kind of like well we can't say he's actually guilty as well you know it's, it's very difficult actually talking about what's what's been said so I, th- I don't think we should talk about that so much but in terms of where it leaves Vera at the minute it's kind of quite interesting in his tennis landscape um from the business side of things um You've got this Adidas deal that he's got, which is quite lucrative. Obviously, Adidas is a German company, so they're they're in quite an interesting position now. His contract expires at the end of the year. Um, you've got stuff like you know Zverev is part of Team Eight, and Federer, his whole shtick, his whole career has been being squeaky clean, King Angel, Roger, whatever. You know, superlative you want to put in front of him, that sort of title, you know, the whole thing's about being a clean, you know, and not having this sort of scandal associated with him. Um, So it's just quite interesting, all these kind of things that are positioning themselves around um, what are very, very serious allegations like that. And they are allegations, but they're very serious. Um, This week in terms of him facing the music and in inverted commas. Um, they pulled him out of his pre-tournament press in Paris. The ATP, they made that decision to do that. Um, but I'm, they're not going to be able to do that when he plays matches. Or, you know, he might decide to take the fine, for example. But it'll, he put out a bit of a half hour statement on it, a bit kind of like, yeah, this is going to go away. It's not a big problem. She's made it all up, which, you know, could be could be true it's not great. it's of... not it's not great it's not great um, you were talking about believing survivors and things um, yeah. and yes obviously we can't sit here and say that he has done these things to her because that hasn't been proven to be true in the court of law and by the regulations in this country we have to believe someone to be innocent until they're guilty however there are ways of handling it when these allegations come up against you and i think that in the current climate and you know 
in, in the interests of making sure that women do feel they can come forward when they are wronged, uh, as has happened multiple times over the years, it's important that it's handled in the right way. I don't think that just coming out and saying, well, she's made it all up. It, it's not a nice way to handle it. You know, you can have yeah. that conversation in private, maybe. But realistically, you should say, oh, well, I'll do everything I can to clear my name. You shouldn't yeah. just come out and cast aspersions on her in that way. I don't think it's right. But yeah. as you and say, George, sorry to go on. Go on. I, mean, I was just going to and then the other, the other side of things, which, again, in the grand scheme, and I'm keen to stress in the grand scheme of things, is the less important side of things when you're actually get, referring to the allegations and the kind of seriousness of them. But... It is the impact on his tennis as well. Um, we've seen Zverev have personal problems in the past that he has kind of alluded to that have really affected his tennis. This is probably the biggest uh, storm with an S in the front of it that he's going to encounter um, in his career, If assuming this isn't going to bring down his career and be that severe. Um, this... This is a really, really interesting period from just the tennis perspective, how he handles it. And mentally, he's not been particularly great um, in recent years dealing with off-court stuff. So this is a time where he's reached his first Grand Slam final, won back-to-back titles. And now this personal stuff has exploded over his professional career. And it's going to be very interesting to see how he handles that side of things Mm -hmm. this week as well. Uh, Calvin, we often talk, because I know that you've got a lot of links and, and um, kind of contacts in the, the sports management industry, and, you know, we often talk about players, how attractive they are to sponsors and, and managers and things. I mean, irrespective of these extra kind of difficulties, Zverev is otherwise a very attractive prospect to, to a sponsor, isn't he? You know, he's, he's, he's tall, he's good-looking, he's got long blonde hair, he's a, a yeah. superstar. There should be a lot going for him, shouldn't there? Yeah, I'm kind of, you know, it, it's sort of probably not something that we ever want to admit, but there probably still is a lot going for him. Um, I would imagine a, a good PR company will sort of push this under the under the carpet somewhere, and I imagine that's what what will happen down the line, rightly or wrongly. Um, and he'll he'll probably continue to get quite a, quite a lot of good endorsements. Um, yeah. It didn't massively affect um, Becker, did it? Um, back when, when he did something similar. Um, yeah. Although, like we said, it, it's alleged so far. But I, I would imagine that um, I think he's IMG um, and I imagine that they'll want to keep on to him. And if they don't, then he'll be snapped up in no time by every other firm who mm. wants him. Yeah, teammate. slightly grim reality, really, isn't it? Yeah, George. Very much so, yeah. I was just saying, his teammate. That's his... Oh, is he? Right, okay, right, yeah. Um, probably the yes. one the one management agency on earth that ING can't actually buy out much as they might like to which basically seems to be what happens in sports management is you start your own company you get a couple of decent players and then you get bought out by ING and you sort of work as a partner but anyway that's yeah. far too industry chat for, for anything uh, other than a more lengthy podcast on the topic uh, let's move on to Rafa Nadal well to records and Rafa Nadal George you alerted us to this particular stat at the moment he is now tied with jimmy connors uh as the most consecutive weeks in the top 10 of the atp rankings at 789 um which is 55 clear of roger federer in third um tell me a bit about what this stat tells us about rafael nadal if there's anything we don't already know well it's worth first of all saying that he's already beaten Connors because it's impossible for him to drop out of the top 10. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, well done, Rafa. You will have he this will out right yeah. as of next Monday. Um, <clears throat> I, I think it, it's obviously like an astonishing achievement in itself, like in terms of longevity, staying at the top 10 in your industry for all that time. But it, it's quite surprising in many ways that Rafa's the guy of this big three that's done it like I think if you think about the big three and who's the one who's had the most injuries or who's been the most likely to suffer a bit of a dip in the rankings because they've had to spend a bit of kind of time away from the sport you probably have thought surely Rafa dropped out in like 2014 and 15 or something you know where 
can few problems. It just shows actually how well, well, how bloody good he is, isn't it? I mean, like he he does just turn up even with these injuries, come back, win tournaments, keep going, and he's always kept himself inside the top ten. I mean, that's a kind of remarkable achievement. Um, <laughs> It and, does also point out, I mean, I'm just looking at Jimmy Connors' time span there, 1973 to 1988, which encompasses my least favourite era of men's tennis, which is <laughs> mid-1980s. Let's leave Lendl out of this podcast. Look, I'm not, <laughs> I, I'm, okay, not me. I'm just saying that there wasn't, a lot of, there wasn't a lot of depth in that period. And I would argue that what this Nadal record actually kind of demonstrates, and in third place, Federer's span of 2002 to 2016 is that those players have had time off. You know, Federer had half a year off, which then ended his uh, run in the top 10. But, you know, these players have all had time off with injuries and they've had enough, you know, cash in the bank, points in the bank to sustain them in the top 10 because there isn't the depth outside the top four or there hasn't been anyway. Isn't that more the point? Yeah, I think as well that, I mean, what, one of the things that's kept him in there is he's, he pretty much has one Grand Slam on his sort of record all the time. So, <laughs> so, so, so you know, the points for those are huge. in the world straight off the bat. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and on the basis he's winning, you know, he's winning two other clay court tournaments in the year as well. So any player, if you're winning one Slam and two other tournaments, you're probably going to be in the top ten. I mean, Berrett, like you just said, Berrettini's in the top ten. He's won, he's, he's won about as many tennis matches as I have. <laughs> in, the last, um, <laughs> in, in, the, in the last 12 months so you know Rafa's always got the French Open um, mm. and you know whereas both Federer and Djokovic I think have had spells where both had spells where they haven't won one for a, for a couple of years at a time haven't they mm. um, and also Rafa's injuries always seem to coincide with the, the, the surface that he least likes playing on <laughs> as well Um Yes, the, yeah, annual, can... the annual Rafa Nadal, I'm not playing Queen's party, is, is always a good yeah, one. And, and sort of... Um, Entity the, finals. Yeah, uh, you know, and the, the whole indoor season. He's got a bit better recently, but he went through a spell where he just, he just binned the indoor season, didn't he? Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's a very good point. But, well, I, I suppose, as you say, George, we're, we're supposed to say congratulations when people break this. <laughs> and uh, in this case, we'll say congratulations until next week because... Yeah, maybe he gets expelled from the ATP in the next seven days. Could happen. Don't think it's you never happen. know. You, you never you, know. You do never know, George. Um, let's move on to our final um, talking point. Although um, we've got a couple of bits of British news um, that we're supposed to uh, flag. First of all, bad news for Joe Salisbury, um, one of the premium doubles players. Uh, he has pulled out of um, Paris Bercy with Rajiv Ram, I believe. Um, not because he has tested positive, but because Rajiv Assessed positive for COVID nineteen. Have I got that wrong? George, shaking a bit. Yeah, it's not Rajiv either. I don't think it's um, someone who's accredited that Joe has been in constant enough contact with to be told he has to go into isolation, I, which is a bit of a strange one because I don't think Rajiv has been told the same thing. So the partnership's kind of been pulled, but I don't think it's Rajiv necessarily who's tested positive i would imagine it's actually like someone in their support staff okay um, i wonder if I, you remember that when um who was it that uh was it who did murray play doubles with at wimbledon uh, uh herbert yeah herbert pierre Huguet's herbert, who had pulled out of wimbledon doubles because he wanted to spend more time with his family thereby kiboshing his partner i think it's another friend mahu Nicholas mahu yeah um, kiboshing his chance of playing Wimbledon and then when Andy Murray rang the phone Pierre Huguez went oh yeah of course I would come play and Nicholas <laughs> Murray was like what the f- what on earth are you doing like, I'm, why am I not allowed to play I wonder if Reggie might pick up a partner but it's probably too late at this point I suppose. yeah probably um, a little bit the other news that we should flag is uh, Dan Evans I know we've talked a lot about Dan recently but to be fair he does keep winning tennis matches and therefore we're obliged to um, <laughs> he uh, got to the semi-finals of uh, Vienna. Um, he beat Alias Bedene, former Brit, um, Rodionov, Rodionov, the Austrian who had beaten Shpovlov, and then Grigor Dimitrov in a, a really good win in the quarterfinals. And then he ran into the Lorenzo Sonogo <laughs> Express uh, and was beaten in the semi finals in straight sets. Missed opportunity, anyone? Yeah, it was. Um, 
I'll, I'll go in and say it was a. This has been a really good spell for Dan, but also a very big what if spell for him. Um, could have won two or three titles. It really could. I mean, like uh, you know, I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying his record against Rublev guarantees he'd win, but he's playing well enough to win that match. Mm. Um, even though Rublev is also playing really well. Um, you know, I watched the Senego match, and it was. I don't know. I don't know if this is a fair thing to say, but it seems to me Dan runs out of gas in tournaments quite late on. You know, he's never won a title. I don't know if it's a nerves thing. I don't know if it's um, just general like tournament management. Um, but he does seem to me to kind of really get himself into positions where you suddenly start to think, "Oh, Dan's going to win this title," and then doesn't quite show up how he has in the previous rounds. And as you said, like that win over Dimitrov's great. That win over Hatchinov the week before is great. Um, there have been near misses where he's almost beaten Vavrinka and lost match points and stuff. Mm. Um, I know we were talking a little bit about whether it's that's an issue in itself, like kind of closing. But I, I think the semi-final final issue is a bit more of something like a hump to get over. Um, something to I mean, like the, could be a confidence the, thing, honestly. Like it's he's not won one. I mean that's that's a tough thing to maybe get over. Yeah, Calvin, you know Dan pretty well. What, what would your assessment of the semi-final final bug be? Um, well, I watched his quarter-final um, against Dimitrov, and I actually thought that was the best match I've seen him play definitely since we came back from lockdown. Um, <laughs> I thought that was a great win, purely because a lot of the matches Dan wins, um, he's just he's a very skillful player, and he can he just has more skill than a lot of the players. Um, and he beats them using that, whereas Dimitrov is a phenomenally skillful player. So he actually beat a player who can match him sort of on hand skills, um, and I thought it was an excellent win for that reason. The Senego match I also watched, and it, and it just sort of... I don't know if it was a fitness issue. It just never seemed... It was one of those matches that he never seemed to be able to get any momentum going. Um, we We sort of talk about in tennis momentum of sort of runs of three points in a row um, yeah. and stop stopping your opponent winning three points in a row. And, and there is a stat on that that they did some data on it that in 5,000 matches that the player who's won the most amount of three points in a row always wins the match. Um, <laughs> and and, I've, and it's, I've, I've seen the data, it's phenomenal. Um, and, and I think on that sort of thing, you look at it, he never seemed to be able to, to ever get a run of points in a row that could sort of set get him a good foothold in the match, and Senego could. Yeah, I mean it's it's deeply frustrating. Um, I mean, yeah. it's not. I think I think what we also need to say it wasn't when you look at it because we you know, people don't know who Senego is, but it wasn't a terrible loss. He, he is ranked forty one in the world, and I think Dan is what thirty six or something. <laughs> no, he's, so the, he's up to thirty now. now right isn't up he? behind. Yeah, so it's, it's Evans is thirty one and Senego is thirty two now. Um, right. Okay. So yeah, I mean, you know, they're they're the same ballpark, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, if they play, and I expect if they played each other ten times, it'd probably be five each. Yeah, and that's also kind of just to, to sort of move it on and talk about the ranking a bit. You know, Dan's been kind of around that area for quite a long time now. Um, yeah. And if if he had won one or two of those matches, just because of the way that the rankings ebb and flow, yeah, he would be potentially on the edge of the top 20 in the world, which, which has its own yeah. kick on. Yeah. I was just going to say, I think, I think I saw something earlier, and I admittedly didn't look at it too carefully, but I'm pretty sure someone had drawn up earlier a graph showing that on wins alone this year, he is top 10 to 20 quite comfortably, Dan. Really? Um, so, on 20, Like on year 2020 wins? Yeah. Or, if the rankings so. are what they sort of used to be. Yeah, exactly. That would make, so, that would make sense. Um, you know, I, I don't want to sound like I'm digging him out or anything. Like, it's it's one of those things where, you know, if a player's not won an ATP title and they're getting big match wins, kind of consistently and getting themselves into this position, then you you start asking yourself: Is that a mental blockage? Is it a tournament management blockage? You know, Calvin was mentioning there whether it was a fitness thing or whatever. You know, you don't you don't necessarily know what's going on behind the scenes, but He's getting himself into a lot of these positions and not converting, and that that to me su- suggests there might be something a little bit 
he has to learn that's the next step to take. Um, but I, yeah. the signs are so encouraging. I mean, like it should be a time to celebrate for Dan, but I do think this could have been a really, really good period <laughs> rather than a really good period. Right, he's got, okay. um, of course, he's got he's got a rinker again, hasn't he? He does. Yeah, First on tomorrow. So Is it nice right? early one. Okay. Yeah. Okay. They, well, they might as well just start a match point ever. <laughs> play from play from there. That, I mean, that is a good question. Though. I mean, how hard is it, is it to play someone that quickly that you've just blown? Is it three, four match points again? I can't remember. Four, four, four. I mean, yeah, I, I think it's probably you probably want to do that to sort of try and get rid of the demons. Um, and you know, if you just look at it on form, you'd think Dan's probably the favourite on that mm. because Rinker's in no sort of form, um, and you know, he, he should have beat him last time. Yeah, completely. I mean, Vavrink was beaten by Christian Garin, I think, in Vienna. Um, yeah. You know, he's got some bad results, and, and we know that he's got a bad day in him. So, yeah. um, Cue a double to... bagel for Evans tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's still probably the two least predictable players uh, on the ATP Tour, certainly in the top 40 there. Uh, speaking of predictions, we should give a little shout-out to uh, Check's Notes, me, uh, for winning last week's uh, prediction game. Uh, I basically seem to remember that I got lucky because Calvin picked against uh, Wake Me Up Wake Me Up Before You Sonego, which is obviously a mistake. Um, and, and, think, and you did mock me for that choice of match live at Sonego, and it was... Well, a, I mocked you for was... everything, George. Um, <laughs> but I did pick Dimitrov, and then I think Pospisil did me a favour. Uh, yes, he did. Over the line by beating uh, Felix team, who I actually... He was playing as we came on air. Uh, he got bageled in the first set by Marin Cilic, and then I'm just trying to find out... And then he lost, so he lost 6-love, 3-6, 6-3 for Marin Cilic, another... Shocking result. Yeah, George, you're saying. Good stat on... Well, not a great stat, but a stat on that. Um, I think I'm right in saying Chilich has won all 29 matches where he's bageled someone in the set now. And that's not that impressive. Like, if you bagel someone, you should beat them. Like, it says a lot, doesn't it? But you do get these odd sets, honestly. You get some sets where... Happens in women's tennis more, doesn't it? I don't know. I mean, I've seen a few sets in men's tennis where particularly like a third set and a slam when someone's like been all over them first two sets, had yeah. a drop off. They've kind of like just mentally chucked a set and then come back and won the fourth. I mean, I, yeah, look, I'm not saying it's a great stat, but it, it, it's a stat. If it happens in the first set, if you're, if you're winning six love, say you go six love and then the opponent then wins a game in the second set, it can sort of throw you quite a bit because you're in a position you've not been in in the match, you know, it's sort of, <laughs> and then you feel that, you know, what, what's happening here, I've just been killing them. And then suddenly, if it suddenly goes like one love them, then yeah. or one all, you know, it can sort of throw, I've seen that happen many a time. And it especially but, happens, especially where, like with the, they, we're getting more and more of the lower down the game of, of um, champions tie break third sets. So, mm-hmm. you know, you, you could be the better player for 80% of the match. And then suddenly you're then, the opponent then then starts thinking, right, just just play decent for fifteen minutes here, and I could get myself in a tiebreak. For what it's worth, I've never lost a match when I've won a set six love. So that's, that's not. Let's couldn't resist. It's quite a good segue into our our kind of final topic because. I've tried not to talk about lockdown um, here in the UK. We're about to go, or in England, I should say, we're about to go back into what they're calling tier four or um, national lockdown or whatever you want to call it. We're all getting locked up again for at least four weeks. It's going to be longer. And it looks like, despite lots of um, urine being boiled on Twitter today, tennis will not be exempt from the ban on going outside. Um, Golf, I know people have been talking about as well. George, I know you've been obviously vociferously campaigning for tennis to be exempt because you want to <laughs> win the, I don't know, the over 25s mixed doubles for one day. <laughs> or something. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, to be fair, I've not really been campaigning on my own behalf. Um, I, I've, I've just merely been reporting what's been going on. So the 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 facts of the case are the government started off saying uh, initially in that first Boris um, announcement on Saturday on Halloween 
um, that you were going to be allowed to exercise outdoors with one other person. Yeah. So at that stage, there was quite a lot of hope among the kind of uh, British body of tennis, the Lawn Tennis Association, um, that tennis would be included in that, given that, mm. you know, to exercise on a tennis court, you're stood at the opposite end of a net. There's quite natural social distancing. Um, it was quickly apparent that wasn't the case. Um, they were briefed by the government um, that, as it stood, tennis clubs um, and golf clubs and swimming pools and gyms and whatever were all going to be uh, closed. Um, then the LTA came out with a statement, as other bodies did, trying to encourage people to write to their MPs and were hoping for a bit of sway. And there was a feeling last night that there was some hope. Um, but Public Health England actually were quite big movers today um, in terms of putting pressure back the other way. I suspect largely because um, it's kind of, as Boris said in his own little House of Commons speech, as soon as you start putting exemptions in for one thing, you get a large pile of things that then suddenly become exempt. Um you get a lot of what about quite frankly. Exactly. And I, I think this is where it's really difficult. And I, I say this as someone who's really, really gutted tennis isn't going to be on. And like for someone who plays it quite often in any weather and whatever, like I really wanted to play, I was hopeful. And in terms of a pure policy, looking at that alone, there's no reason why it wouldn't happen. But I do understand also the trade-off between um, kind of a national psyche of we need to all be in this and everyone needs to kind of do you know what i mean like you yeah. can't have certain people's hobbies or whatever but um i think it's a big shame for tennis because it, it there it seems to me there would have been ways that it could be done quite well um yeah. that's just parks being open to it um closing clubhouses or whatever um but i it, it's looking incredibly unlikely the lta have put out a latest statement tonight saying they, they hope it'll be sl- shut down in the commons, but I, I'd be very surprised at this stage if it was allowed to happen, as much as I wanted to. Yeah, even even the great wheels of power of Lord Belshaw government policy. Ah, Calvin appears to have fallen over in his statement. <laughs> <laughs> Put something in the bin, sorry. <laughs> He's so angry at government policy. Um, Calvin, I know this has had a, a direct effect on your boy, Luke Johnson, because he's basically added a bit more time onto his tour abroad sort of work abroad if that makes sense yeah well he may do and i think that's so there's a few brits out here um playing in greece and i think that they've all sort of there's basically five weeks of tournaments out here which will probably end up being the last five tournaments of the year um in futures terms they had a few more cancelled this week um tunisia which runs a sort of similar basis to here there's a long run of tournaments uh within a hotel um And they've cancelled this week, so they've gone. So now we're down to pretty much just, um, I think there's there's Greece and Egypt, and I think there's maybe one, Greece and Egypt that do one every week, and I think yeah. there's maybe one in Estonia this week. Um, so basically, we're on the second week of a five-week run. Most of the Brits were going to play the first four weeks of that Um but I think there's now a sort of they're now saying that they'll probably stay for the fifth week just because what they're going to do if they go home they can't even practice so mm-hmm. um, they may as well stay out here um, and and do that um, and I think that that sort of say that's the Brits I think most people are in a similar situation I said last week that the Israeli lads can't really go home if they go home they won't be able to get out again so um, everyone's kind of just uh, just just going to stay here, I think, the whole tennis yeah. world. <laughs> um, I mean, it is basically, you know, you, you say it's all in one hotel. Is it basically one big bubble? Is that, I mean, it, I don't know what the Greeks have been like with COVID. Um, on Crete, it's, it, I, I was speaking to a few people um, who are here on Crete. It's not been much of an issue at all, uh, <laughs> right from the beginning. Um, the, it, the, there are holiday makers in the hotel as well, but they don't really go near the tennis courts. Um, <laughs> so the hotel was apparently quite busy last week. I don't know if it still is. Um, I think the weather's just turning to a point now where you wouldn't really holiday here. Um, but um, but within that, yeah, it's a bit... Greece is a bit different from um, 
from Tunisia. The Tunisia one is an absolute bubble. It's a hotel where there's nothing else anywhere near it. Right. So if if you go into that, you go in the hotel and you, you basically don't leave the hotel for the whole two weeks. This Greece one, um, we're actually not staying in the hotel. We're staying in some apartments, sort of a five-minute walk from the hotel, um, just for, for to save cost, really. Um, so it kind of is a bubble, but isn't. But then the only people that we would come into contact with are tennis players at the tournament as well. Interesting stuff. Um, I think yeah. we've covered as much ground as we possibly can this evening. Um, George has got his hand up, obviously. Well, well, have you got a parting shot? And George, I can't hear you. You've turned yourself off. You've muted yourself. This is great. This is the best Sorry, that... input we've ever had. This, yeah, we've had some wonderful technical issues tonight. Um, it's going to be good fun. Um, the parting shot I had was actually nothing to do with lockdown, although I'll say one last time. Let us play tennis, um, but it was <laughs> no. Uh, it was actually it, it was a parting. Well done to a friend of the podcast, uh, the one man who screwed us over that one time. Famous oh, John, John Millman. Well done. First ATP title um, uh, in so, Kazakhstan. Is it? Yeah, the Astana Open, the most prestigious the of all titles. Road. Although wins over Vadasco, TFO. Manorino on route to the title. Yeah, he really that's... did get drawn against some people out of form, didn't he? Um... That's, that's a good win. That's, <laughs> no, that's no, a good title yeah. for John. Now, and... well, done, well done, John Millman. He's been through some stuff in his life, that man. Um, I also, <laughs> to be fair, almost forgot to give you some quiz question answers. George, you submitted that Jordan Thompson might have been one of the lucky losers to have beaten the men's world number one, of which there are now five, uh, including Lorenzo Senega. Jordan Thompson did indeed beat Andy Murray in straight sets at Queen's in 2017. Andy Murray also lost in Madrid in 2017 to Borna Choric, who was a lucky loser at the time. Uh, I had him in my head, and I was like, surely Choric could not have been a lucky loser. I remember that match being... I know, I know, but even so, because he he was top 50 quite early as an 18-year-old, like, beating Rafa. So I was kind of thinking, surely not. I remember that being quite a shock at the time. Should have gone with it, should have said it. And then in 2007, Roger Federer, an Indian Wells of all places, lost to Guillermo Canas, um, who I, I don't know, but Calvin probably fagged for him at school or something. Um, and then in <laughs> 1996, uh, world number one Thomas Muster was beaten by Sandon Stoller, who was a lucky loser at Dubai. Now, Dubai in 1996 had a population of about 200,000 people. I'm amazed they had an ATP tour. Uh, Sam Stoller, incidentally, is Australian. Um, he now lives in Aventura in Florida, and he won 22 <laughs> ATP doubles titles, including the 1998 US Open. Oh, well done. Don't say I don't, don't, say I don't go into detail for you. I think that's it from us. Calvin, good luck to Luke this week in Heraklion. Thanks very much. Next week. George, good luck with your campaign against the government. Everyone, please stay indoors, <laughs> stay safe, stay at home. Don't be idiots. We'll get through this. And crucially, we'll be podcasting throughout. See you later, lads. Bye-bye. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chabacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply